Hi, everybody. You don't like the baby shower games? <laughs> okay, well, maybe we just have to rethink the games that are offered. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lynette Stupai, and I'm excited to be teaching this lesson. And um, it was so funny because one of my dear sisters in my group said, wow, you got this week. And I was like, okay. But, um, you know, just to applaud everyone again, um, Renee had congratulated everybody to get into, you know, halfway point, but, you know, you're halfway and then some. So, whoop, whoop. Um, so here we are in week six, and I'm sure you'd agree that the last two weeks of scripture readings um, have been really required a lot of focus and, you know, a lot of self-discipline to kind of stick it through. Um, these chapters are not quick digestible nuggets in any way. And if you've tra uh, traversed these latter chapters of Exodus in the past and other Old Testament books that are very descriptive um, content like this, you may have thought to yourself um, when the reading sections where God communicates construction details that, okay, this is the part where I can just skim over, right? You know, because I think I know what's happening here. Um, and, you know, God just needed this bill and, you know, um, there's just a bunch of blueprints, but, um, you know, I guess we'd all agree after doing this week's lesson that there is a ton here. And if we just skim over what God has put on these pages for us, we are going to miss a lot. Um, you know, like I said, you know, who would have, you know, in a speed read thought that a tent in a desert could be paralleling our Savior's ministry and reflective of our own lives as believers. Um, and I will confess that I used to think that these descriptive sections of the Old Testament um, and there's a good, like I said, there's a good deal of them, might be somewhat less significant than the other parables, stories, and teachings that there are. Um, and there's really no harm in glossing over them. But alas, right, with um, the detail and the repetition, like immediately whenever we see detail and repetition in Scripture, that is our first clue that God has something really, really important and highly significant to tell us. Um, we see this here in the second half of Exodus as it pertains to the tabernacle and its contents. So, like, let's put the perspective into, like, the importance into perspective. Have you stopped to think that the entire creation of the universe, it's like two chapters, right? Opens up in Genesis, there's two chapters there. Um, and, you know, that's it. And I mean, I don't mean to make anybody feel like unimportant or anything, but God basically only used like one statement in Genesis 1.26 to describe how he would create humankind, male, female, and in his image. So, you know, there wasn't really much details given there. You know, we didn't find out anything that was happening with hair color, height, eye color, or anything like that. Um, no specifics, um, just, you know, God was going to use some dust and a rib, and then we had people. But here, on the other hand, in Exodus, we have approximately six chapters dedicated to the building of the tabernacle. So I guess there is something important to be said here. God chooses carefully every word that goes into Scripture, and all Scripture is equally insignificant and important. So when we read or listen to Scripture, be prepared for God to reveal himself to you, even if it's in furniture, drapery, or tent design. Um, so let's recap, uh, recap real quickly the way God revealed himself in this week's lesson about the tabernacle design. His charge was, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. In chapter 25, it opens up with God directing Moses to collect from those willing to give offerings of specific materials and supplies for the tabernacle construction and its contents. In verse 2, we see these are all free will offerings. 
God told Moses that you are to receive an offering from me from everyone whose heart is prompted to give. And this was a list of very valuable things, right? We had precious yarns, linens, um, skins, oils, spices, gems. And, you know, here we see the foundational relationship with God. It's all about free will. Um, It is free will that moves us towards or away from dwelling with him. And it must have been very challenging for the Israelites to part with these material goods. After all, right? I mean, this was their financial security, items that they were probably counting on to sustain them once that they were getting to their final destination, um, probably used for barter or for commerce in some way. Um, And, you know, it was probably a pretty big ask to put these things out there um, for this temple. And, you know, would they trust him to continue to provide for them if they did give up these items that um, marked wealth? And especially in an uncertain nomadic life. Um, So despite their track record of fickleness, um, we love the Israelites because we're so relatable to them, um, and the big construction undertaking at hand, God allowed them to exercise their free will. Um, The faithful gave and began a legacy for the church that we actually benefit from today. Um, And what does that scenario say to us? So when we are in that desert situation, or when life demands a sacrifice on our behalf, and our free will we use our free will to release the earthly things to make a dwelling place for God. In verse 8, God says, The purpose of this tabernacle is so that I may dwell amongst you. These words reveal the nature of our God. He loves us and wants to be in fellowship with us. It could have read, Build this tabernacle to recall what a mess you were in, pay continual atonement because your condition is hopeless, offer prayers of hope that I'll continue to sustain you in a desert. But no, God noted that in the scripture that he, the almighty God, desires to dwell with us. Um, He doesn't have to, he wants to. We witnessed this with Adam and Eve in his coming into the garden. Instead of Adam and Eve running to find him in their sin condition, God came looking for them. And so it began, the trouble with sin. (laughs) Here in Exodus, God is laying the foundation of atonement and foreshadowing salvation through Christ. In verse 10, we read about the plans for the Ark of the Covenant, one of the most iconic objects in the Old Testament, reflective of God's heavenly reign and Christ's indwelling in believers. God's presence would hover over the Ark, fully eliminating the space where there was no light. The elaborate vessel was constructed of wood overlaid with pure gold. How many times did you read overlaid with pure gold, right? (laughs) Um, But this wood pictured Jesus's humanity and the gold represented his deity. They were unmixed yet fully united. And I thought that that was just a really cool perspective on um, the artistry that we see and the, and the craft that God continually uses to give us these visual um, illustrations of uh, us being yoked with Christ throughout the building of the tabernacle. So it was kept in the Holy of Holies where God met with a high priest yearly and um, had the atonement for the Israelite sin, again foreshadowing the work of Christ on the cross. The ark contained three reminders of the people's relationship with God and the lessons that they learned about his provision, direction, and protection. The manna, 
God is the provider. Aaron's budding rod. God is the director and the miracle worker. Aaron's budding rod was assigned to show the people that he was chosen to be the leader and to not rebel against the chosen. It felt like there could have been a little political lesson there, but we'll save that for another time. Um, The law of the Ten Commandments also was God's protection and his uh, his government over us. In verse 17, um, we learned more about the mercy seat, and I really enjoyed chatting with my group about the cherubim and just, you know, these mysterious creatures. Um, You know, God, there's still just so much that we don't know, and investing in the scripture just allows us to hit the pause button and really consider all the things that we still don't know about our Heavenly Father. So, love Bible study. Um, So this again, um, the mercy seat was where the blood of the acceptable sacrifice were sprinkled for atonement. And this parallels how Jesus Christ would be the blood sacrifice for our sins uh, through the mercy. We could have propitiation, say that three times fast, or forgiveness uh, without payment and simply by our faith. Throughout verses of 18 through 22, God instructs that the cherubim of gold um, that were connected with God's holiness are constructed over the mercy seat to remind us of our relationship with God and Christ indwelling with us is not a casual affair. In Psalm 91, 99, 1, it tells us that in heaven, God sits enthroned above the cherubim. This ark, this ark is to be revered and so important to God that he included, it in the, he included his heavenly hosts in this visual. Um, he instructed the design in the tent and the ark and the mercy seat and he says, there I will meet with you and commune with you from above. Now, as believers, if we are the temple of the Spirit, this should be motivation to be holy because he is holy. Um, that's uh, encouragement that's given to us in 1 Peter 1.16. And I couldn't help but really kind of sit and think about that when we're talking just about this um, place where it was so holy that only, you know, once a year could this ark be um, uh, interacted with by the highest priest. So the next piece of furnishing within the temple um, that I really wanted to kind of park on for a little bit was the table of the showbread. Um, This, again, was another wooden structure covered with the pure gold. And again, you know, this we see totally that Christ, our bread of life, is this spiritual food at this table. Um, And again, it was paying tribute to the fact that when the Israelites were in slavery and in the desert, that God made a way from them and he was their faithful provider. Um, Each loaf came from the 12 tribes and it was not only symbolic there for practical purpose of sustaining the uh, priests as they worked and ministered, um, it was also interesting that these loaves were, in some of the research that I did, um, supposed to be about six pounds a piece. So that is a lot of bread, right? You cannot be on a low-carb diet if you are a priest <laughs> working in the temple. But that was, you know, it was also very cool to see that, you know, they were to work their six days and then rest on their seventh. Um, but again, the bread shows us, too, that, um, you know, Christ continues to um, sustain us physically and spiritually in our service to him. And again, iterating that seventh day rest there, six days of being um, engaged in being fully serving the Lord um, in, within the temple and then resting. 
Um, another God item that God instructed to be created for the tab tabernacle was this uh, solid, pure gold hammered seven-branch lampstand. And I just absolutely, I come from, from a creative family and just the artwork. Like, can, can we just get like, wow, an amen for God's just artistry, right? He could have just said, this has to be there. It has a practical purpose, blah, blah, blah. But he invested in the detail of the beauty. Um, so we have a God that just doesn't just provide for us, but just make sure the world and everything that we're surrounded by um, makes our, our lives beautiful. Um, so again, you know, knowing the number seven is a number of profession, uh, per perfection in the Bible. This source of pure light, again, was reflecting God's perfect son. And the instructions, of course, were to make this a highly ornate decorative piece. Um, and again, the lampstand didn't burn candles, if you weren't aware of that, but it held the wicks that burned the pure oil, which was representative of God's Holy Spirit, um, lighting the darkness, Jesus, and then drawing from a common reservoir, which is God the Father. This light is essential to exposing sin, which was a question that we had covered in our, um, our lessons about, you know, what does the light mean to you? And I couldn't help but thinking of the light as the way that we help others find their way to Christ when we're letting God's indwelling in us radiate out to others. So crossing over into chapter 26, the instructions for the tabernacle cover, coverings are discussed. And there was just a lot of linen going on there, right? So, <laughs> so fine twined linen, even texture, again, just really speaking to the perfection of Christ. And we see just the, the majesty of these um, curtains and the veil as it's being made. But, you know, it would be with, uh, I'd be remiss not to mention, you know, just the symbolism of the colors there. Blue, because God is heavenly. Um, purple for royalty and scarlet reflecting um, the sacrificial blood. Um, and I thought this was fun, you know, discussing within our group too, all the bindings that held all this fabric together and just, you know, how that reflected all of us, you know, supporting each other, the church, the church throughout history, our um, biblical leaders and so forth, and, and teachers throughout the ages, um, all coming together to kind of, I like to say, shroud around God's presence. And um, I just think it's a beautiful representation of how we join together as members of the church. And again, just kind of thinking of God, God's tabernacle and us being part of that. Um, on day four of our homework, we looked at kind of more specifically of the, the layers. Um, and I thought it was interesting kind of reflecting on this because, again, if you were speed reading, you may have not taken the time to digest it. So I was grateful that the scripture or the lesson slowed everything down. Um, the, the woven layers externally from the outside, it kind of went from like, you know, woven goat hair to ram skins, and then the outer layers could have been badger, and some um, or researchers or historians believe it could have even been like seal skin that provided a waterproofing for the outside of it. But um, again, you know, it was just moving from the functional pieces on the outside to the beauty on the inside. And like, isn't that where God really wants to focus is on the inside. And that's really um, the place that we uh, 
kind of want to emanate God's spirit from is from the inside of us. And that's always where God looks. Um, And again, I think when we look through these chapters and these verses, we see the God of order. And I'm so grateful for that because I am by nature not an orderly person. So it's nice to know that the God I worship has order and um, the order that he creates is perfect. Um, Again, uh, you know, the veil that was separating the Holy of Holies from the holy part of of the tabernacle. Again, there was order. Um, We see the embroidered cherubim again reflecting there. And this veil, I mean, the veil was massive. And I I don't have to kind of repeat everything that we heard in our lessons about like, you know, this was a veil that was like one single person would have a hard time even penetrating it. But God's presence could penetrate the entire tabernacle, uh, but yet remain in a place where we could have um, the... um, the time where the priest would, would be with him and seeking forgiveness for the sins of the people in Israel. Um, I think that, you know, the, we're really probably most familiar with the crucifixion story where we see the veil in the temple torn, um, reflecting Christ's body and that was torn for us, giving us access to the Holy of Holies. Um, and I just, again, I'm so moved by that. And isn't it great that we're kind of aligning the story and can have this time to reflect so close to Easter and moving into Lent. Um, so God focuses on our heart. And the last little bit of our reading assignment, we dipped our toe into chapter 31. And we got to hear a little bit more. I'm sorry, verse 31. Um, we're not there yet. Um, in verse 31, we got to hear a little bit about the positioning of the tabernacle and how the position of the tabernacle, um, you could only enter in from one door on the Eastern end and consider the relevance there because there is really only one way that we can enter into the most holy um, and that is through Christ. So again, our dwelling there. Um, So again, now in week six, or in the sixth, I'm sorry, in the uh, last part of the lesson, we do dip our toe into chapter 30, not 31, sorry. Um, and the verses one through 10 is where we just kind of move over the instructions on the building of the altar of incense. And who would have thought there was so much detail that could be discussed about incense? But again, you know, we are once again linking um, how this not only was the incense there to represent our prayers going up, but there was a function of this um, incense to create this screen, both um, from a representative factor, but it also helped kind of screen out God's illuminative um, presence um, for the priests that were there. So I thought that that was a real big um, eye-opener because I guess maybe when I burn incense, it might just be a little piece of incense. So I can just imagine, right? If you grew up in a Catholic church, you can appreciate the lots of incense. Um, (laughs) So smoke was rising up before the Holy of Holies, again, um, iterating how Christ intercedes for our sins before the holiness of God. So lots to reflect on through these um, lessons that we went through this week. Um, But I just want to make sure that before I kind of wrap up with a few closing thoughts, that, you know, the details of all of this is because God so wants us and anyone who encounters scriptures to know who Jesus is. 
reading through scripture does require a sacrifice, a sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of letting go of earthly distractions and self-discipline. But oh, the treasures that we can find when we do give God's word the honor and reverence that it, um, and respect that it deserves. So the tabernacle confirms for us man's sin nature, God's holiness, and our need for a savior. And ultimately, Jesus' presence was interwoven, interwoven throughout the Old Testament, affirming John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and kind of just the one thing that I couldn't be helped but be really grateful for was, you know, thinking back how the tabernacle was just for these very privileged and elected priests And today we can walk right into that holy of holies and we can invite others to consider doing the same. There's no thick layers of curtains, no special credentials, no rituals. We have access to the Father through the Son and sealed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And again, we can be assured through the building of the tabernacle sanctuary that God is a promise keeper. He fulfilled his intention to dwell with us then and now. The tabernacle was a foreshadowing of Christ's ministry where he became man to dwell with us, became a blood sacrifice, took down the veil, and opened that single east-facing door so that we could dwell with him forever. God is a God of order, magnificence, and artistry. He communicates plans and rules and ordinance. He communicated plans and ordinances to keep approximately two and a half to three million nomadic people in order in a desert. Um, experts state that there was no way that this many lives could have been supported in a Sinai desert by natural means. So we see God's provision and miraculous hand in extreme circumstances, in the way that He unfolds time and history to the finite detail of your life. He makes all things beautiful. When you are in your extreme circumstances, sisters, dark places or desert experience, know that God is with you making a way. Like the Israelites, we may never understand why we are going through challenges or why we might um, are reaping a harvest even, but rest assured that all things unfold in your life are a part of the master's plan. We must trust that God's order and plans are perfect, and that is not to say they're going to be easy. God is holy. The tabernacle reveals God's extreme holiness from the opulence furnishings to the shining of his uncontainable light. We understand man's sin isolating him outside. uh, We understand, we quickly understand why man's sin isolates us on the other sides of the walls. But still God made a way through propitiation, that big word, um, for the simple, sinful people that desire to interact with him. Be encouraged once again and be holy because he is holy. We carry that tabernacle with us. So there's so much we can reflect on as we go through our next week and complete the next lesson. But there's one hidden gem in these two chapters of Exodus that I don't want you to miss in case you didn't pick it up. And that is the character of a faithful servant. We'd be remiss to overlook Moses's physical, spiritual, and emotional workload during this assignment. Traveling by foot in a desert setting, up 
and down a mountain, interacting with a heavenly presence, leading two and a half million people, and not wanting to mess things up again, probably had a heavy weight on Moses. Yet, did he complain? No, we don't, we, there's no documentation of him complaining this time, right? He did not interrupt God with, how am I supposed to get this done? Who's going to help me? We don't have enough miracle. Uh, we, what if we don't have enough materials? He didn't doubt. He moved forward with faith because he, know, he knew that God would not let him down. Friends, God's work cannot be accomplished by grumblers, doubters, and naysayers. The negative spiritual attributes stifle the glory he rightfully deserves. So this week, I pray that you can endure the challenges ahead of you, no matter what God has placed in your path, with faith and confidence, knowing that he is there dwelling within you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your constant direction and provision. Thank you for our minds and eyes that can process the illustration of Christ that you crafted in the tabernacle design. Thank you for our ears that hear and our open hearts that learn from your holy scripture. Help us to never think anything in the Bible is not worth the time or effort to read and digest. We praise you for revealing these things to us. I ask for your blessing on this group of women who seek to know you and dwell with you. Cover them with your presence. Help us to be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. It's locked. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great weekend.